Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to talk in just a few minutes, I'll get to the message in just a second, about what happened in that 10 days after Jesus ascended back into heaven and uh, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. First, uh, several people have asked me, what's happening in Israel? What do we make of uh, this uh, war with Hamas and Israel? Does this mean that uh, the tribulation has started? Well, I want to make some clarity, give you some clarity this morning. No, it does not. Matter of fact, uh, we understand there are a couple of things yet to happen prior to that tribulation period described in the book of Revelation. First, I want to share with you an e- uh, a message we received from one of our friends in, e- in Israel. Guy served in the Israeli Defense Forces and the Special Forces. He's now retired. We met him when we were there in December of last year. He says, blessing to all my friends. Please remember that we never asked for this war. But when the enemy shoots rockets on the city of God, our capital, Jerusalem, which he, the enemy, claims is holy to him, when something is holy to you, you defend it. You sure don't try to destroy the holy city. If you can, in your church or your synagogue, if you're a God-loving person, would you please pray for the state of Israel and the idea of soldiers which protect this land with their bodies, not standing like cowards behind innocent people. He who blessed our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may he bless the fighters of Israel's defense forces who stand guard over our land and the cities of our God. From the borders of Lebanon to the deserts of Egypt, on the land and the air and the sea, may the Almighty cause the enemies who rise up against us to be struck down before them. May the Holy One be blessed, preserve and rescue every fighter from trouble, distress, every plague and illness, and may send blessing success in their every endeavor. May he lead our enemies under our soldiers' sway. May he grant them salvation and crown them with victory. May there be fulfilled for them the verse, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you to battle, your enemies to save you from. That's from Galibowitz, and uh, we need to pray for us. We're going to do that in just a moment this morning. Amen. We are a friend of Israel. We believe that Israel plays a big part uh, in Bible prophecy. We also believe that our roots are in Israel, amen? If you didn't know it, Jesus was a Jew. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not, but he really was. He lived in the land of Israel. Someone said, is this a tribulation? No, two things have to happen prior to that. Everything else basically has been fulfilled. One, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. Secondly, Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, where he wrote, For we say this by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive will not prevent those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, he said. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Two events yet to occur. The gospel has to reach the entirety of the world. 
I'm very encouraged because we partner with the missionary who every month films TV programs that are, that are shown throughout the Islamic world. People tune in, they listen, they hear about Jesus. That's a powerful thing, amen? We partner with them, we support them. The gospel is being preached. If you have questions about this time period, you can read Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, also give you insight into that last day tribulation period. Daniel chapter 9 talks about the abolition of desolation, the ab abomination of desolation. That's talking about when the Antichrist establishes his throne on the Mount of God, the Temple Mount. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 also talk about that period. When the nations of the earth gather against Israel in that great and final battle. You say, what nations are those? Well, I'll tell you first and foremost that Zechariah chapter 14 verses 1 and 2, he says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. You need to remember that all nations was the prophecy. But the six specifically referred to in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are Iran, Russia, Turkey, the nations of North Africa, the Islamic nations, Sudan, Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia, on and on we could go. Someone said, well, what about China? Well, that's actually addressed in Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 19. Specifically, verse 16 tells us that a massive 200 million man army will arise from a region east of the Euphrates, and that would be China that it's describing. We need to understand today that we are living in those last days, and we should be ever ready to give a witness and a word for the hope that is within us. We should not despair. We should not be living in fear, but we should stand tall and declare, the Lord is our God, and he shall prevail. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time this morning, and we're going to pray for Israel. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God prospers those who pray for Jerusalem. Father, right now, we lift your land before you, the land that you gave to Abraham, the land inhabited by Isaac and Jacob, the land that the Hebrews went back to after the Egyptian captivity, the land who down through the ages has historically belonged to your people, the Jewish nation. We pray for Israel this morning. We pray for protection. We pray for peace. We pray that their forces will defeat every enemy that rises against them. And we know when we pray that we're doing so according to your will because you said that's what would happen. We pray that you confuse their enemies and great, bring great victory to the land of Israel and to the people that you have placed there. And in doing so, Open the eyes who have not yet received your Son, Jesus Christ, our and their Messiah. And let them experience him as Lord and Savior, as the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for indulging me for just a moment. You may be seated. I appreciate that. If you didn't get all those scriptures, I won't repeat them, but you can watch the broadcast later and get them back again. How about that? You can actually hit it and stop it and write them down, then go again. So this morning, we're in Acts chapter 1. We're talking about the 10 days that were leading up to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the day of Pentecost. 
We're talking about what were the disciples doing? What were their perceptions? What were their attitudes in that 10-day period of time? I want to talk to you about this this morning because next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And I want you to come prayed up, full of the Holy Ghost, ready to experience a mighty outpouring of His Holy Spirit in this room on Pentecost Sunday. Will you do that? Will you make a commitment to pray with me right now for next Sunday? For God to show up and... Come on, folks. Three of us are going to do it. The rest of you... The rest of you need to repent. All right? If you'll make that commitment, slip up your hand and say, I'll do it, I'll pray. I'll believe God for a mighty outpouring in this place next Sunday morning. Amen. Now, that doesn't negate what he's going to do here today. Because before you leave this room this morning, he has already touched you. But he's going to touch you in a powerful and a wonderful way before you walk out those back doors this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Please put that on the screen for me, Christian. The Bible says from the New King James Version, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now get the picture. Jesus and the disciples were on the Mount of Olives. Jesus was getting ready to leave. The disciples still didn't understand the plans of the kingdom. They knew, they recognized, they understood that he was crucified, that he died. And when that happened, they thought then the plan of God was thwarted. It was done. It was over. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And somebody should say, hallelujah. Because we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. I am so glad my Jesus is alive. I don't worship some God made from stone or wood by the hand of man, but I serve the God of the universe. His name is Jesus Christ, and we're here to magnify him. He's the one which was alive and then dead, but now is alive forevermore. So they still don't get it. They still think that now that he's risen from the dead and spent 40 days with them, somehow he's going to kick out the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. Sometimes I wonder if we aren't a lot like the disciples. God lays his plan out for us. He shows us what he wants to happen. He tells us again and again and again, it's not your plan, it's my plan. Trust me with it and you'll see great and mighty things. Yet we still keep saying, but God, but God, but God, that's not what I thought. That's not what I planned. That's not what I understood. Well, I came this morning to shake some of you mentally and wake you up to recognize it's not your plan, it's his plan that's important. Read on in the next verse, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That was his promise. No, I'm not restoring the kingdom to Israel. I'm doing something better. Did you catch that? I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. I'm doing something better that will touch the entirety of the planet. Men, women, boys, and girls will have an opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit working through you to receive Jesus Christ, to have the bondages broken, the superstitions destroyed, 
to have that old witchcraft stuff broken off of them, to have addictions broken off of them, to live at peace with their families. Oh, come on, friend. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. He is coming to do something great in our lives. Jesus said, now you missed it again. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But, I love that. But, anytime you see a but in Scripture, you need to know something great is about to happen. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, that's what we need to understand he's leading up to, what they need to anticipate, what they need to expect. Can I challenge you today to look past your immediate need and see what God wants to do for you? Because what God wants to do for you, in you, and through you is much greater than the need you're dealing with right now. God's plan is much grander than anything you could ever dream or imagine. I don't think I believe that preacher. Well, do you believe the word of God? Say amen or owe me. Because the word of God says in Ephesians 3.20, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So his plans are much greater, much grander than yours. Look at verse 11. Who also said, now this is the angel, the angel speaking to them. Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Two angels appeared and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 14, this is what the disciples did during that 10 days. This is the stage I'm wanting to set for you. What I'm wanting you to understand, look at verse 14. These all, speaking of the disciples, continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What happened in that 10 days? Were the disciples sitting around wringing their hands, wondering what their next move was? No, the Bible says Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And when they were waiting in the upper room, they were praying. They were seeking God. You know what I believe? I believe they're remembering the things he taught. They were rehearsing and reciting the mighty works and acts of Jesus. I believe they went back to the Torah. They went back to the Old Testament. They began reading and remembering everything he declared. And suddenly with them as they prayed and the word of God became active in their lives and they remembered all that Jesus had done, faith began to well up in them. You say, I just don't have any faith. Well, that's not right. Because the Bible says God has given every man a measure of faith. You have enough faith in you right now to believe on Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. Don't tell me you don't have any faith. You do. You just don't want to activate it. You see, you've got to come to the place where you're so desperate in your life. You activate that faith and allow God to do something mighty and powerful in your life. That's what's happening to these individuals in the upper room. And at that moment in time, their next was revealed to them. Their next made, was made clear to them. 
They begin to pray. They begin to study. They begin to talk to one another about what God, what Jesus had done. Their faith arose, and suddenly, when next was presented, they were prepared. This is for somebody in this room today, somebody online. If you don't prepare today, you'll miss your next tomorrow. It'll walk right on past you. You'll see the door close, or you'll be so paralyzed with fear or uncertainty that you won't have the courage to walk into it. I'm telling you here today, you got to prepare right now for what's coming next. You've got to prepare today for what's on God's horizon for you. Never forget the story that D.L. Moody told. You know who he was? He was a great evangelist during the Civil War period of time. He had a church in Chicago. He said, I was knocking on doors in the business district, and I went into a bar. I knew the man had two daughters, so I asked him, the owner, can your daughters come to my Sunday school? And the owner said, oh, no, I have an atheist club that meets you on Thursday night. Those guys drink a lot, and they make me a lot of money, and I don't want to offend them. Moody kept working on him, kept talking to him, until finally softened his heart to the place. He said, I'll tell you what, preacher. If you'll come on Thursday nights, and if you'll debate the atheist club, and if you win, my girls can go to your Sunday school. Moody said, it's a deal. And he went right out, and he found a little newsboy, a guy that sold newspapers, crippled by. And he said, Tommy, I need you on Thursday night, because Tommy knew how to pray. Thursday night, they walked into that bar. It was packed full with the atheist club. They were setting up beer kegs and whiskey kegs, and on the bar, men everywhere. They were grinning like this is going to be the greatest slaughter we've ever seen. And Moody said, now, gentlemen, it's our custom to open our meetings with prayer. So Tommy, hop up, hop up on that whiskey barrel and begin to pray. And little Tommy began to pray. He began to pray for the souls of every man in that room. He began to pray that God would touch them, change them, reveal himself to them. Tears began to roll down little Tommy's cheeks. And from the tenderest among them, to the hardest, every one of those men left the room. This is a true story, every one of those men. When they're all gone, he looked to the bartender and he said, well, I guess that means I won, and I guess that means your daughter can come to my Sunday school. The man conceded that, yes, you did win, but can I tell you, that was a really weird way to fight. And Moody said, I win most of my battles just like that. What am I saying? I'm saying if you will understand the power of prayer, if you will understand the secret to locking yourself in with God and begin to pull your heart out to him and hear him move in your behalf, you're going to say, that's how I win my battles. That's how I win my battles. We need to understand that the first order of our lives must be to pray first. Pray first. Before we make a decision, pray. Before we fly off the handle, pray. Before we make a mistake, pray. If you're going to look at a new job, you need to pray about it first. If you're going to buy a new house, you'd better pray about it first. If you're thinking about a new girlfriend, you better pray about it first. If you're thinking about a new boyfriend, you better pray about it first. If you're thinking about a major move in your life, you better pray about it first. We need to learn to 
pray first before we ever move in our lives. That's the order that Christ has set for us. And you can remember this, write it down, because when we pray, the supernatural determines the natural. I need to say that again. Some of you didn't hear me. When we pray, the supernatural determines the natural. In other words, when we pray, we give God an opportunity to move in our lives, to change circumstances and situations so we see those prayers fulfilled in our natural lives. When the people of God begin to pray, we discover God's not finished. When the people of God begin to pray, we discover God's plan for our lives. When the people of God begin to pray, we suddenly realize, I'm not going to live in defeat. I'm in victory because of Jesus Christ. You see, when we begin to pray, we discover the king still has one more move. He's not finished yet. That's the order. Think about it. The angel spoke to Mary and Jesus was conceived. Joshua and the children of Israel shouted and the walls came down. The little boy gave his loaves and fishes to Jesus. He prayed over them, broke them, and 5,000 men and their families were fed. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit is coming, and when he comes, you will receive power. Little did they know that that power would come on a wind and with cloven tongues of fire setting on each one of them and transform them from that day forward. You see, when we begin to pray, when we begin to engage God in our lives, the supernatural determines what happens in the natural. You know what? When you begin to pray, you can know the answer to the question before it's even asked. When you begin to pray, you can know the outcome before it's ever revealed. We need to learn to pray first, just like the disciples did. Tony Campalo told this story in one of his books. Years ago, he was traveling to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania to speak at a college. When he got there, a group of men took him to a back room and they began to pray, praying for him, praying for the service, praying for God's anointing and blessing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that prayer, one man just burst out, and Lord, about Bert Harris. Bert Harris really needs you badly. He lives in that trailer down the street. He's considering leaving his wife and his family. And Lord, if you could just get through to Bert Harris, that would be great. And then they want in prayer. He said, I preached the message, got in my car, was going home, and there was a hitchhiker, and I felt compelled to stop him and pick him up. He picked him up, and as they began to drive, he said, by the way, what's your name? The man said, Bert Harris. He said, I shut the car down. I turned around and headed back the other way. The guy said, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking you back to your wife and your family that you're trying to leave. When they pulled in the driveway, the man said, how did you know where I live? And he said, God told me. What kind of God did, didn't he? You see, we need to understand when we pray first, God has an opportunity to move in our lives. It's through prayer that we can know the excitement and the wonder of being part of God's plan. And we can actually know what God's going to do. When we pray, there comes a resoluteness, a resolve in our spirit and our mind that says, my king still has one more move. He's not out. He's not down. It's not over. It's not finished. Here's a thought. When you pray, 
why don't you expect God to answer you? When you pray, why don't you expect God to speak back to you? Too many times when we pray, we're simply talking at him. We've got our laundry list of concerns and requests, and we recite them off as a rote fashion, and then we say amen, and we're gone. Can I challenge you? When you pray, start with the Word. Read the Word, and then say, God, what are you speaking to me today? Write those thoughts down. Determine if they're biblical by the Word of God, and if they are, God just spoke to you. People say God doesn't speak anymore. Oh, he certainly does. I beg to differ with you. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. When you begin to pray, you'll learn the voice of God. And when you learn the voice of God, you can know which way to turn, what to do, the decision to make that will honor him and fulfill his plan in and over your life. Prayer isn't some scary otherworldly thing. It's man who knows Jesus engaging the heart of the Father and the heart of the Father then releases knowledge, direction, blessing, power into and over your life. Holy Spirit was poured out when they prayed when they read the scripture, when they recalled what Jesus had said and done. We have got to learn to hear God's voice. And the only way you're gonna learn is by trying. See, but here's the good news. God says, when you begin to pray, he's not far away or distant. He comes nigh to you. He draws close to you. He fills your heart. He fills your mind. He directs your steps. When you begin to pray, God does what God said he would do. Can I challenge you? Pray first. Because there's no problem too big that God can't change it. There's no small situation so small that God doesn't care about it. So in good times or in bad, don't just do this when your back's against the wall. But I'm telling you, when things are going well, when there's money in the bank, when your family is getting along, when you have no issues with anybody, you better be praying. Because when you pray in the good times, you're establishing a habit that will help you pray in the bad times and see you through to victory. But if you don't pray in the good times, you won't pray in the bad times, and you'll sit your hands, you'll fold your hands, you'll sit on that church pew, and you'll say, God ain't never done nothing for me. May I remind you, God died for you? May I remind you, he gave his very own son for you? Don't you dare tell me God's never done nothing for me. What a hypocrite you are. It's time for you to believe the word of God. It's time for you to stop living in doubt and fear and unbelief and step into a place where you call upon the name of the Lord and the Lord shows you, I will hear and answer you. Time to get past that stinking thinking that has held you captive for so long. Some of you are still in your bondage, you're still in your addiction, still wrapped in chains because you refuse to pray. You refuse. And in doing so, you're refusing the direct avenue to the power of God. In doing so, you're saying, I know better than God knows. Your pride, your arrogance... I don't know I'm talking to this morning, but somebody better hear me. This is God warning you. Your pride and your arrogance are keeping you from him. Your pride and your arrogance are keeping you in bondage. 
Your pride and your arrogance are causing you to live in disbelief. It's time for you to shed that stuff, forget what you can do, and call upon the God who does all things and does them well. It's time this morning you lay the pride and lay the arrogance at the altar and lay yourself on that altar and say, God created me a clean heart. Break this off of me. I don't want to be who I am any longer. When you pray first, God moves in your life. May I tell you that there is no day but what he wants to talk to you. There is no situation but what he longs to pour in direction and guidance. There is no time or struggle in your life but what God wants to bring release and victory. That's the reason Jesus died. He didn't die so you could say a sinner's prayer when you're 12 years old and live in bondage the rest of your life. I went to high school with a guy who was a bully. We got into it a lot. Sometimes he won, sometimes I won. After I got saved, I crossed his path again. And I said to him, Wayne, do you know Jesus? Oh, Jesus. I accepted Jesus when I was 10 years old in the Baptist church. I'm cool, man. You know what I said? I said, Wayne, your life doesn't reflect the Jesus you claim to know. Because the Jesus you claim to know transforms and changes and sets free. You don't have to be a bully. You don't have to be a drunk. You don't have to be the person you are if you really know my Jesus. Well, somebody hear me today. You need to know and understand it's not about reciting a little prayer. It's about encountering the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about understanding his power is great and mighty. He is able to sweep through my life and break off every chain and break off every addiction. You've been through 17 rehab programs and you're still an alcoholic. It's time to let Jesus set you free. When you begin to pray, God begins to move. When you begin to pray, you recognize the king has one more move. Tom, would you come back, please? Simply put, prayer needs to be the first thing that we do and the last thing that we do in this life. When you pray, you're showing God you value his input. When you pray, You put the part of your flesh to death that wants to be in control of your life by forcing it to submit to God's voice. That's good. I need to say that one more time. When you pray, you put to death the part of your flesh that wants to be in control of your life by forcing it to submit to God's voice. Some of you in this room need to force the flesh to submit to God this morning. You need to force the flesh to submit to his authority, to his voice, to his power moving over you and in you. When you pray first, listen to me, when you pray first, you make less mistakes. That may not mean anything to you because you're perfect. Listen, I make a lot of mistakes. I need to pray a lot because when I pray first, those mistakes are minimized and God's plan is revealed. Because when I pray first, I'm relying upon God's wisdom, God's word, God's voice to guide and direct my life. When we pray first, we realize the king has one more move. When you pray first, you determine in the supernatural 
what's going to happen in the natural. When you pray first, what doesn't make sense comes into clear, sharp focus. When you pray first, then you see the power of God moving in your life. Jesus built his life on prayer, being alone with God in that secret, silent place, waiting to hear from the Father next, next, next. So many of you in this room need to pray to hear next. Prayer prepares you for what's going to happen next. The disciples waited for 10 days. Were they praying constantly? I kind of doubt it. They're humans. I think they slept. I think they ate. I think they sang. But I think most of all, they prayed. And they prayed, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Jesus said, after that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Pray first. And when we pray first, we learn the king has one more move. Christian, put that picture up for me, would you please? This illustration has been told again and again and again for years and years. One article I read said it's over 100 years old. But the first actual documentation of it being used I found was in 1955 by Billy Graham. Story is that two men are standing in front of that painting. That painting is called Checkmate. The man is playing chess with the devil. And the devil is grinning from ear to ear because the man quartered. He has the man cornered. Checkmate. The devil is won. His opponent has failed. He has no more moves. The first man looked at the painting and then he went on to see other paintings in the museum. But the second man stayed and stared. And he stayed and stared because he was a chess champion. Suddenly, he stepped back absolutely flabbergasted. And he said, it's wrong. It's wrong. We need to contact the painter. The picture is wrong because the king has one more move. The king has one more move. Throughout the Bible, this game has been played between devil, the devil and mankind. The Israelites found momentarily free, momentary freedom and then the Red Sea was in front of them and Pharaoh's army was behind them. The destruction and the death was certain, but the king had one more move. Daniel was lured into a lion's den because he stood his ground, refused to deny his faith. An angry tyrant wanted him killed. And in the morning, when they opened the den of those lions, there was Daniel alive and well because the king has one more move. A nine-foot champion fighter named Goliath issued a challenge to the armies of Israel. And he said, it's a one-on-one -on -one battle, winner take all. And a little shepherd boy 
carrying bread and cheese, happened to hear the challenge. And he said, I'll fight him. I'm not afraid, I'll take him on. And you know what happened? David with a sling and five stones brought down the giant, cut off his head because the king has one more move. Do you ever feel like life has beat you? The king has one more move. Do you ever feel like the devil has trapped you? The king has one more move. You ever feel like a failure, like you're out of options, there's nowhere to turn, you've lost all hope? The king has one more move. Stand your feet in this room with me. Tom, I want you to do this is how I fight my battles. Would you do that for me, please? You're in this room this morning. You're in a place and a position where you need God to show up in your life. Maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need help in your family. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you need help in your finances. I don't know what it is. I just know the king has one more move. If that's you, I'm talking to you this morning. Step out from where you're at and move into this altar because the king has one more move. Why are you waiting on somebody else? God's talking to you. The spirit of God is drawing you. Quit waiting on your neighbor. Quit thinking I don't know what they'd say about me. It's time to put your pride aside, crucify your arrogance before the throne of God and let Jesus do something for you today. The king has one more move. Come on, church. There's a whole lot more of you in this place that this message resonates in your heart. It struck a deep chord in you. You know I need God to do something in me right here, right now. Don't wait. Don't hang back. Don't look at your watch. But step out and come on and say the king has one more move and I'm going to let him do something in my life today. Tom's going to sing it as you come. Sing it out. This is how I fight my battle. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.